You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Barallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Norton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I am joined once again by my co-host, Alex Barallo. Alex, how are we doing? Doing well. Hanging on by a thread, like this Jets team. <laughs> yeah. All that they're hanging on to by a thread is the number one pick. Uh, you know, if Jacksonville, gets a, if Jacksonville doesn't win another game, it's going to be down to the wire because, you know, that, that Week 17 game against New England – who knows what the hell Bill Belichick will do to keep Trevor Lawrence out of the division. But I honestly, I think Jacksonville wins another game, to be honest. They were close last week. They have the Bears this week. Like, the Bears are, are really bad. Like, the Bears won a few games early on when their defense was playing lights out. Since then, you can make a case that the Bears have been as bad as the Jets and Jaguars. Um, and maybe I'm all based on it. The last time I looked at their schedule and their, their numbers uh, a couple weeks ago, I came away just thinking, all right, they, they stole a couple early wins, but since then – uh, not not a very good football team. Uh, I think they got blown out last week as well. And so I think this might be Jacksonville's best shot at a win. Uh, they lost by just two last week, which is really a shame. But, you know, yeah. it is what it is. The Jets, the Jets keeping up their part of the bargain by refusing to win yet again. Uh, not that they ever really had a chance. Jets blown out 20-3 to by the Miami Dolphins. Uh, the Jets... Uh, what is it? I saw a number. It's like the lowest point total for a division rival since, uh, I think, since that great Baltimore Ravens defense. But basically, the Jets played the Dolphins twice this year. They scored three points. Um, the, uh, the team that was smart enough to fire Adam Gase uh, right before the Jets couldn't hire him fast enough uh, has held the offensive genius to three points through eight quarters. So he's averaging less than a half a point per quarter against the Miami Dolphins. Congratulations, Adam Gase. And speaking of Adam Gase, let's let's get right into it, Alex. Jets go out. They get blown out 20-3. to three. We covered it last week on the show. I'd mentioned it a few weeks prior to that, um, that Adam Gase was, had too big of an ego to give up play calling. I wasn't buying it. Um, as I said last week, shared the, the, shared the tweet with Gase calling the plays. Like it was like week one or two after he after he lied and said he had given up the play calling. The Jets beat caught on last week. They kind of mentioned it to him. He was evasive. Uh, he lied again, saying that you know he calls uh, the third down plays, whatever it is. So the media, I guess, uh, and credit to them, credit to Rich Semini, who uh, I think Adam Gase must must dislike more than anybody on the beat right now. Rich Semini says to Adam Gase after the game. You know, who's calling the plays? Adam said, oh, Dal's calling the plays. And they said, uh, but Adam, we, we were watching Dal during the game. Uh, he wasn't saying anything. He didn't, he, I mean, he didn't say this part, but if you watch the game, you, you'll see uh, Dal Logan's didn't have a play sheet in his hand. Dal Logan's, I think there were points where he didn't even have a headset on. Um, Adam Gason said, no, Dal calls the plays. Uh, so Samini says, we, we watched him during the game, Adam. He didn't, he, he wasn't speaking. Uh, while you guys were on offense, he was talking to Frank Pollock, the offensive line coach, um, to which Adam Gay says, uh, 
And it's it's not that hard, Rich. It's not that hard. Uh, we we talk we talk about it before the series, and we discuss which three plays we're going to run. Which is funny to me because it's like you're acknowledging that before you even get the ball, you know you're only going to need three plays. Like there's no need to discuss anything beyond that because you're going to be punting. Like Dow and I talk about which three plays we're going to run. Um, at that point, Connor Hughes chimed in and said, like, what happens after the three plays, Adam? Like, you, you agree on three plays, we, which also means, by the way, there's no adjusting. Like, if we, we all know, we all know that in a three-play series, the first play is going to be Frank Gore up the middle. So once you run Frank Gore up the middle and he gets stuffed, like, what if he loses four yards? And then you're on second down. And now second down, if, if we're de- deciphering this correctly, Second down is the down that Dow Logans gets to call. Because first down is predetermined. First down, Frank Gore up the middle. Maybe, maybe you change things up and you go Frank Gore to the left, whatever you do. But it's always going to be Frank Gore on first down. So that play is predetermined. Then you run second down. And then Gase, once he gets caught, says, oh, um, actually, I call the third down plays. Okay, so it's Gore on first down. Dow calls the second down play. You call the third down play. And then you punt. Like, that's the game plan. No need to adjust. No need to, no need to kind of work on it. Like, I would think second and two would mean a different play call than second and 14, but not to Adam Gase. It's just pick three plays, before, you know, 20 minutes before you have the ball, and then just run those three plays and see what happens. Um, so Gase got a little defensive, and uh, then Connor Hughes chimed in and, and said, you know, what happens after the three plays. And uh, Adam Gase, again, was, was a little bit defensive, uh, saying it's not that hard. Um, but then, again, he was caught when Connor Hughes said, we saw Dowell talking to Frank Pollock and not calling plays, to which Adam Gase says, what, wh- when was that? So now you're changing. <laughs> you said Dowell is, Dowell is calling the plays. Okay, Adam, what about this point where he wasn't? Oh, when was that? Why should it matter? If he's calling the plays, he's calling the plays. And then, this was the one unfortunate thing. Connor Hughes didn't have a specific time frame. Connor Hughes just said, oh, it was some point in the second quarter. Like, it might have been the first two minutes. And Gase just go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, um, that, that's when I take over. Um, I, when, when, when we're down. Uh, when we're down at third down and two-minute drill. So, he calls, he calls the plays on third down. He calls the two-minute drill. And he calls, they, again, first down is predetermined. Um, so for the last four weeks, we're supposed to believe Dow Logans has been given the responsibility of calling the offense on second down. Um, and, and then, so then Gase is obviously caught. He's obviously been lying. Logans has not been calling the plays. I said this four weeks ago. The media caught on two weeks ago. They, they banged on again about it this week. Gase finally acknowledges um, that it's not Logans calling the, calling the plays. He says yesterday it's a, it's a collaborative effort. Um, that he and Logan's call the plays 50-50. And again, Logan's still calling his plays without a play sheet or a headset. Um, but it's 50-50 now. Um, and the reason why, are you ready for this, folks? The reason why Adam Gase and doesn't want anyone to know who's calling the plays? Because he wants the competitive advantage of nobody knowing who's calling the plays for the Jets. This team scores four points a game, and this guy's like, we don't want anyone to know our secrets. We can't divulge that information. Uh, as I said, you know, defensive coordinators, I'm sure, 
losing all kinds of sleep, call, calling back to all of their mentors, calling back to every coordinator they've ever worked with or for to say to them, listen, man, we have the Jets tomorrow, and I need to know who's calling that fourth and one run. I know it's Frank Gore up the middle, but I just don't know who's calling it. What am I, how do I prepare for this? I, I, I'm not ready for such a monumental task the competitive advantage that Dowell Logans and Adam Gase maintain over the rest of the league. It's scary times for these coordinators trying to prepare for Adam Gase and Dowell Logans. Dowell no gains. How about that? How about Dowell no gains? I think I like that better. Um, anyway, that's, uh, that is, <laughs> that's what's going on at the big top at the moment. Adam Gase, the ring, the ringmaster claims that it's a 50, 50 split. And we're going to go to the phones real quick. We've got a caller on the line. Caller, 919 area code. What's your name? What do you got? Hi. Is this uh, Glenn? It is. Glenn? Hey, this yes. is, this is uh, Southern Jet. How you doing? Hey, Rich. How we doing? This is uh, the Southern Jet from the Forums at Jet Nation, which if you are not on the Forums at Jet Nation, you need to sign up today. Rich is a diehard Jets fan who I've had the opportunity to meet and go to, meet up with at a couple of games. A few years back, met for lunch in North Carolina with the families. Uh, long time no speak, Rich. How you doing? I'm I'm doing great, and I'm hope you're. Uh, are you across the pond still? I am. I am hunkered he, hunkered down here a couple hours outside of London. We uh, we come All out right, of lockdown in about 24 hours. So uh, you know, oh, okay. there's that. I, I yeah, uh, Jeremy's over here now, but he's getting ready to fly back to Germany. So I was curious what's going on in Europe there. Gotcha. So, uh, so yeah, just, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like is this whole, t- you don't have any other, but you know, it's online. There's no guests like Connor. I heard you mention his name. Not, not, not for a while. Me. We, we have somebody yeah. calling him, but not okay. for a while. Yeah. The, uh, the, with the 2020 stuff, you know, it's almost like there's no question to ask if you, if you get what I'm saying, it, it's like this big mishmash of this soap opera that we've got going here. And, and and I'm starting to believe that from day one, Joe Douglas has had this plan of a guy he did not inherit. And, you know, we know he got that unusual six-year deal. And we now hired Flacco, who knows the Raven playbook, as a backup. I, I'm just thinking that everything has sort of been a handshake deal already, and we're getting to move into a Ravens culture and a Ravens playbook, which I'm not arguing with. Um, I do worry about losing the draft pick. Do you think we go with Fields if if, if we don't get Lawrence? Uh, and it's real easy for Belichick to blow a game. He can make it look real, you know. He can just call stupid plays. Well, listen, you know, I said at the top, who knows what the hell Bill Belichick will do. But um, I think the, the one thing that can help the Jets here is that I think Jacksonville is good enough to beat Chicago this week, uh, which would put the Jets in a really good position because, I mean, yep. good Lord. Uh, I mean, can't really see the Jets winning a game. Um, but if they do steal one at some point, say, again, maybe week 17 against New England, if, uh, if Jacksonville gets to that second win, that pretty much locks the Jets in at one. If the Jets fall oh, to yeah, two, yeah. Yep. yeah, if the Jets fall that, to two, you, I think you have to go with Fields. I don't think that, you know, Sam Darnold, and we'll, we'll talk about Darnold in a little bit. 
but yeah. uh, he's, he, he has regressed. I mean, he, he, I, I feel like I say it every time he steps on the field, but every time he gets on the field, he looks worse and worse and worse. Um, and, and here's I saw, something that, that, that I'm real curious with you, Glenn. I'm real curious with you. Um, and, and I agree with you 100% that Sam's regressed. But, but and, you know, I'm 68 years old, and I've been watching this team forever. The, 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 this is the worst play calling I, I, I've ever seen. Um, he, Gase has eight plays that he recycles. He actually throws to the same spot, you know, in down and distance when a situation arises. The quarterbacks are, are being – the defenses know exactly where to play. Well, you know, I, I've said – I can't remember when I first said it, um, but it's it's yeah. become more of the case recently, Rich. Um, I said earlier in the year that if you didn't know better, um, you would think Adam Gase has been given the thumbs up by ownership to go out and throw these games. Yes. Because we've seen him do yeah. so many things that just fly in the face of logic. And and listen, I I, I don't say it every week because it that, you know no need to to beat a horse beat a dead horse. But I I do say quite often that I understand that I'm 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 a fan. I'm a guy who watches yeah. football. Um, I don't I'm not going to pretend I know as much as an NFL coach does. Um, however, yeah, I I do know that you know kicking field goals when you're down by 24 in the final minutes of a game. Or, or running the ball on second and long, third and long, with a 37-year-old oh, running back God. who's, you know, who, who runs a 3-3-40. Oh, I mean, th- these are things that you look at and say, he's got to be trying to lose on purpose, right? Like, you wouldn't yeah, – yeah, these are not the things you would gone. do. Th- these are not the things and you would do if you're trying Darnold. to win a football game. Right, and how tall is Darnold, Glenn? Was he 6'4"? 6'3", 6'4", something like that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so why don't you why do you take a two two foot, third, you know two foot down to get first down and have Frank Gore set up seven yards behind the line of scrimmage at yeah. thirty seven years old and make a a as Joe Montana would say you know you, you know you sit squat down and you dive for that open hole and it's easy as hell to get two feet in the NFL for a quarterback sneak. Why do you not do that? Why do you turn it into a seven-yard play? Yeah, well, listen, you know, we've, we've talked, uh, we've mentioned quite a bit, and I've seen other people mention it, uh, you know, former players and things on Twitter. Um, zero imagination in Gase's offense. You don't see a lot of motion. Um, you, don't yeah. see, you don't see a lot of creativity. So, again, if this is what he's bringing as an offensive genius, has he been told by ownership, uh, Adam, don't worry about whether you, you know, don't worry about winning games this year. Go out there, run a, run a vanilla, run a high school offense, you know, pick your favorite right. 12 plays, keep running those and, and you'll be fine. I, I was worried about that early on, but I will say yeah. um, that I, I, my, my concerns have been eased in the last 48 hours. Um, even though, you know, there's this part of me that's been saying, what if, are, are the Jets that dumb? Would they bring it back? Would they bring it back? You know, kind of oh, no, that thought's no. been pestering me. But if you saw yesterday on Twitter, and I was going to mention this later, Alex, um, Adam Gates' number that. one ally in the New York media, his go-to guy, Brian Costello of the New York Post, started tweeting yeah. yesterday, or I'm sorry, after the game, is, yeah. is, is this enough? Is, is it time to move on from Should the Jets fire Adam Gates tonight? So Brian Costello, his closest ally, is all out. Um, he retweeted a story from Mark Cannizzaro, okay. I believe, today, saying, yeah. for the love of God, fire Adam Gase now. 
So his, Do you his, remember his, the article I sent you in the beginning of the year about uh, the one that was written the week before, uh, right after Gates was hired, and he hadn't called a play yet about how the writer was from Miami saying that yes, he's I remember bad this. for Darnold. Yeah, he's bad for Darnold, and statistics in Miami showed that he virtually never threw beyond the six on third and we And we've seen it here, time. we've seen it a million times here. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're seeing, and, we're seeing, and, and uh, you know, we, we're seeing two yard passes on third and eight. It's and it consistently. And, and so. going back to what you just said before I called in, I heard you say that uh, you know um, about him calling the plays recently. There was that one week when Logan's, you know, Logan's, Joe Vitt, and Gase will be fired. Well, the whole everybody will be fired, but those two yeah, games are triumphant. But but. But my point is, Logan, um, when he called the plays for that first half, he did throw three yards beyond the six on third down. He did throw 20-yard passes over the middle. And the defense on the other team was rattled because they were going, wait a minute. Yeah, and, and think, actually, I did mention yeah. um, that week on the show, and Alex, you may remember this, before, this was literally two or three minutes before we found out Gase claimed he'd given up play calling. I tweeted out, like, yeah. the Jets actually looked pretty good on their first series or two. And I tweeted out, yeah. like, hey, credit where it's due. Adam Gase's offense looks a lot different. Well, you know, looks, looks good today. And then it, it comes it looked, out it that Logan's was calling the plays. So is, is, it a thing, is it a thing where Gase let him call the plays for a quarter or for a half and then said, you know what? I'm not doing this. This is my team. I, I, I don't know. I mean, for whatever reason, the offense did look different for the first few series um, that Logan's had, had the plays. But then I believe it was the following week where, as I said, I believe that was the game when I saw Gase in the headset calling the plays. And I tweeted out right. and said, oh, what's, what's going on here? I thought Logan's was calling the plays. So they did look different for about 10 minutes. Um, but that yeah. won't be enough. Well, what happened that, was Gase's psychological makeup as we're finding out. I don't think he liked the fact that they were looking good and being creative. And then Sam, unfortunately, if you remember, threw that dumb interception right before the half. And I think Gase used that as as a reason to take, because he, he was calling plays in the second half. They showed a few shots with him talking into a headset. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, that that's uh. It's something we noticed, and the media's onto it now. Gase has now changed the story. And, you know, listen, yeah. the way I look at it, Rich, is we got 33 more days of Adam Gase. We move on. The new head coaching, you know, the, the search for a new head coach has probably started already internally. Uh, we know the I Jets. I think it's done. I think it's done. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I think so. I think they uh, with Roman. No, I, I don't. I, I think friends. they want somebody, especially with what that offense. That's going to be a hard sell to Jets fans. It, you know, you've got Why? you've got the league you've got the league MVP um, in yeah. Baltimore right now, who in yeah. Lamar Jackson, who has been absolutely terrible this season, and and okay. you know, Jets fans are going to want, and and rightfully so, as far as I'm concerned, uh, somebody who somebody who has been a head coach, someone who has run a successful offense, and someone who, sh- who has shown they can develop and continue to develop a young quarterback. Um, well, that's why my, that's why my top, hey, what's that? Yeah, go on. No, that, that's why right now. And I'm, 
you know, I'm looking around at other guys, but uh, I, I hope the Jets realize that they dropped the ball um, during the Gase interview process, and they should have hired Todd Monken because Monken has been okay. a head coach. Um, he was a head coach in college, took over a program, uh, took over a winless yeah. program that won. Yeah. That by the time he left three years later, they were a nine-win team. So they went from zero wins to nine wins. He was in Tampa Bay when Jameis Winston, you look at Jameis Winston statistically, all three years he yeah. played under, under Todd Monken, he improved statistically in every single category. And now he's in Georgia where I've been following him because I'm, I want to see how he does there. And pretty much okay. universally across the board, everybody says this guy is drawing up game plans that should be, you know, they should be lighting up the scoreboard every week, but he's got a terrible quarterback. But he's got guys running wide open all over the place. So you've got a guy who's proven he can turn a program around. He's proven he can be a head coach. He's proven he can call plays. He's proven he can develop a quarterback. And he's proven he can do it at the NFL level. All things that, that, that those need to be the Jets' priorities. I don't want another coordinator who's never been in charge of anything. I don't want don't give me don't give me uh, you know Eric Bieniemy who's a part time play caller in Kansas City. I I, I keep hearing I that Eric Bieniemy calls the plays in Kansas City, and I can't tell you the number of times I turn on a Chiefs game and I'm looking for Eric Bieniemy. And I'm not saying he's not doing a good job of whatever he's asked to do, but he, he's over at the bench talking to the players while, at, while Andy Reid no, is calling plays. So if we hire Andy Reid, this, would be, this would be like saying, this is yeah. like saying Dow Logan's calls plays for the Jets, as far as I'm concerned. That's right. I want, a head right. Coach, I want a guy with head coaching experience, a guy who turned a program around, a guy who has had success in the NFL as a coordinator, and a guy who's developed a young quarterback. Todd Monken fits so all don't those. Want a, you don't want a proven coordinator if he hasn't been a head coach. Right, right. I want someone who has turned a program around, who took over a bad situation and made it better. Well, you're really limiting your choices. But, 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 but you know, if, they, if we can't get that and we have to get a coordinator, we could do worse than Roman. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to lie and say I've watched a ton of Baltimore this year, but – I know that uh, I know Lamar Jackson was the MVP last year, and this year Baltimore's having a hard time but scoring points. This year, this year is a write-off. They lost all their running backs, the COVID stuff. They've had offensive line injuries. You know, this year is a wash. Come on. Well, uh, well, listen, listen. Outside of the Jets, every time I, every scoreboard I look at, somebody scoring four. As a matter, as of a few weeks ago, I'm sure it hasn't changed. As of a few weeks ago, yeah. the NFL had scored more points this season than at any point in the NFL history. So this is like the one year yeah. to not be able to not score points. Um, and as I look at the scoreboard right now, Pittsburgh is leading Baltimore 19-7 with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. So the Ravens have scored seven points today. Um, again, yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, it, it's no. one of those things. I, know. I don't want to fall in that trap of anyone but Gase because that's what I said about Bowles. I was like, I don't care yeah. who you hire, just get, Bo- just get Bowles out of here. And then Bowles got out of there. And then I said, I want Matt Rule, or I want Cliff Kingsbury, or I want Todd Monken. Rule went somewhere else because the Jets are idiots. uh, Kingsbury wouldn't even come in for the interview. And they didn't Mm -hmm. hire Monken because Peyton Manning uh, said that Adam Gase makes a mean cup of coffee. So, yeah, that was really weird. Set your standards high. Offensive coordinator for Peyton Manning, who was the last guy who called his own plays, means you're getting us coffee. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, Rich, I got to let you go. We got to get back on, All right, on track here. Thanks so much for calling in. See your family. Take care. All right, same, same to you, Rich. Take care. All right, so as I mentioned, uh, Rich is from the, uh, the forums of Jet Nation. If you're not on the forums, get on the forums. So, Alex, Alex, you've, you've been silenced for a while. My apologies. 
I went on a little bit of a rant there before Rich called in. So uh, what are your thoughts on the Adam Gates fiasco, the uh, Dallas calling plays? No, I'm calling plays sometimes. No, we're both calling plays. And uh, either way, they're scoring three points a game. Yeah. um, You know, thanks for Rich for calling in. Always love to hear from our fans from uh, Jet Nation Forum. You know, like you said, a great place to just keep the conversation rolling all year round. Um, But as far as uh, the – the mystery, as we know, has been solved. Um, no big shocker to us here. We've always known that um, Gase has still been involved in, in some sort of manner. Uh, maybe perhaps Loggins was coordinating the, the uh, scripted plays um, for, you know, certain, you know, first and second down, things like that. And, and Gase has final say on things like that, like he's alluded to. Um you know, the the old saying, you know, slipping on the banana peel, uh, Samini got uh, Gase, you know, uh, slipping and sliding there and uh, caught him in a lie. Um, never really looks good. Um, but we also know that, you know, this whole league is predicated on, you know, stretching the truth and you know, saying one thing and doing others to try, like you said, um, getting a competitive edge against people. Um, I don't know what he's – talking about when, when you look at an 0-11 team, um, you know, if you really want to throw people off, you know, tell us Greg Williams is going to be calling the plays or something. Um, that'll probably, you know, get a bunch of headlines and, and eyebrows raised. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's rather foolish. Uh, I don't see the, the purpose in, in trying to uh, be dishonest at this point in time. Uh, it's really hard to believe anything that comes from, from anyone um, – as far as the uh, the coaches, the front office, um, as far as I'm all concerned, um, all these guys just haven't a clue at this point in time. Um, but I don't care I, if, if you say if you're the the hardest practice team in the league, um, it's not equaling out on Sundays. Yeah, and Alex, I think I think I have an answer as to why Adam Gase lied, um, and it, to me, it makes perfect sense. Um, He's got the worst offense in the NFL yet again. Um, he's supposed to be an offensive genius, and he's he's been taking a lot of fire, and, and a, a lot of people started asking, are you going to give up play calling? Are you going to give up play calling? Um, and Adam Gase probably said, you know what? Let me just throw Dow under the bus. Um, I'll, I'll tell everybody he's calling the plays. I'll, uh, there's no way I'm giving up play calling because I'm a friggin' genius, whether they know it or not. And um, I, I don't want to answer any more questions about when am I going to give up the play calling. So I'm just going to tell him I gave it up now. And really, the, the media called it's, – it's weird that they called him two weeks ago, and then he didn't have the sense to say, you know, hey, Dal, uh, make sure you're wearing a headset and mumbling from time to time so it looks like you're calling plays. Um, Gase didn't anticipate that the press box – you know, there might be a couple guys up there with binoculars who take a look down and say, uh, you know, we watched Dal for 15 minutes. He didn't say a word while you were on offense. You know, then it's like, oh, damn. Like, they had him. He had no choice but to say, yeah, I've been calling plays. But uh, even then he lies. Well, I've been calling third down and, and two-minute drill. Um, he's been calling the plays. He lied because he was getting pressured to stop calling plays because they were the worst plays in the NFL or getting the worst results in the NFL, we should say. But um, what what hasn't Don't helped you... – No, go ahead, Glenn, and then I'll, I'll ask you a question. No, no, go ahead, because I, w- I was going to move on to uh, how bad Sam Darnold has been. What were you going to say, Alex? 
Uh, yeah, and that's a touchy subject. We know. Um, hey, I'm listen, that, that talk. Yeah, but, I'm, uh, I'm fine yeah, with my it. My question to you is, how do we take that as the fans, you know, having to, you know, swallow this garbage every week and being told one thing, and, and then it almost is like they have no spine to where they start reacting to what the fans are, are, are saying or asking for. Um, for weeks, people were asking for Gase to be demoted or, you know, for him not to call the plays or come up with better scripts and schemes and things like that. So they almost give in from an optics look and say, okay, we're going to give in to the fan base and we're going to make Loggins the guy that calls the plays. When clearly we're watching the games and we see Gases involved heavily with the decision-making, it's almost an insult. You know, I took it as an insult that you'd think that we were dumb enough to actually think that you made a switch. Now, like you said, perhaps he was just more involved in, you know, the scripted stuff because we did see, like Richard said, we were seeing the ball going down the field rather than laterally, um, you know, on wide receiver screens or two-yard passes where the wide receiver has to make something happen. Um, you know, we, we could definitely see that we were working within the same uh, offensive playbook, but it was it was different with the cadence, and it was different with situations it seemed as with. So, um, you know, it's just a, it's really, really a head-scratcher on how we were looking at a vertical-style offense with Joe Flacco, which seemed really effective for whatever this offensive scheme is that, that Gase is trying to put implement. Um, and then we go to Darnold, who's more of the intermediate short, um, you know, I'll run and scoot and try to make some magic happen kind of style. And it, it just makes me think, like, you know, why would you think that we would be fooled, you know, to something like that? And, you know, the other thing, you know, and I guess this will transition us into the Darnold thing, and I've asked this, you know, last week, you know, why is it Darnold looks so inept and Joe Flacco with his age and to be honest with you, he hasn't looked really good in, in several years, um, started to look like the Joe Flacco of old, you know, throwing the ball deep and making big plays and competing uh, more or less. Well, I, I think um, the <clears> – and <throat> this is another thing I was going to touch on, and we'll get to Darnold, but uh, an interesting thing that I noticed after the game, and we've seen it a few times, and it could just be my imagination, but it felt like this week we saw more media members and former players coming out and, excuse me, and ripping Adam Gase. Um, Leger Doosable, former Jets uh, D lineman, tweeted out that uh, Adam Gase was a straight-up liar. Damian Woody tweeted out, watching Adam Gase makes me think it's a crime that this man has been a head coach for two different teams. Um, as I said, his best friend Brian Costello tweeted out, should the Jets fire Adam Gase tonight? Then his best friend Brian Costello tweeted out yesterday or retweeted an article saying it's time to fire Adam Gates now. And as far as the Flacco-Darnold discussion goes, and I think this is a really valid point um, from another former NFL player, uh, former Jets linebacker Chad Cascadden, who played under Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick uh, and does the wrap-up show on SNY, I believe it is. Uh, he apparently said after the show, the reason why Flacco looks functional in this offense is because he hasn't been around Adam Gase long enough for Adam Gase to, to break him. Um, and I would imagine, like, and think about it. Imagine you're Joe Flacco, right? Like, you're, you're no longer the player you once were, but NFL players don't think that way. Like, Joe Flacco in his mind, and it's, he's has his right to an opinion, Joe Flacco in his mind is still a starting quarterback. 
He's got a Super Bowl ring. He's got multiple big playoff wins. He has had some huge, huge NFL seasons. And he's looking at Adam Gase, who, as we've said before, has never done a thing without Peyton Manning. So I, when Gase talks, do you really think Joe Flacco was on the edge of his seat thinking, man, I got to take in everything this guy is saying? He probably listens and nods and says, all right, all right, all right. But in, to himself, he's saying, like, well, I've, I've done this before, and I'm going to do what works. And he's got the, the, you know, thousands of mental reps that a young Sam Darnold doesn't have. Whereas Sam Darnold doesn't have that 10 years of experience. The, he, he's got to learn to play. The only people he has to lean on to learn from are Dowell Logans and Adam Gase. So that's where his tutelage is coming from. And Cascadden may have really hit on something there. Like the reason why Flacco looks like a good quarterback in this offense is because Flacco is already a good quarterback. And if, if Adam Gase, you know, tries to teach him something that Joe Flacco knows is garbage, Flacco might nod, but you know, he knows not to do it. Uh, or maybe, maybe Gates would need a little more time. Maybe if Joe Flacco played for Adam Gates for two or three years, he would regress the same way. I mean, listen, Sam, but we've, Sam Darnold is clearly regressing. And that, you know, that really, I mean, there's a million reasons you can fire Adam Gates. But if you're going to look at ownership and what they said prior to the season, their thing was, you know, uh, success this year is going to be measured by progress. How well are we progressing? Well, you're not. Um, Darnold continues to regress. So I think that, I think that's a, a valid answer to your question because, listen, uh, Sam Darnold, to me, it, it, it's, it's terrible to watch him, Alex, because this is a guy who, as a rookie, I remember watching him just in his first few games and coming away thinking, okay, we, we got the guy now because he's, he's a quarterback who, you know, he struggled with the, with the deep ball accuracy. But that, that's the type of ball you got to hit. You don't have to hit that every time. You just have to hit it often enough for teams to respect it. Uh, but we saw him make throws on the move. Make, you know, going, the biggest thing was going through progressions because after so many years of whether it's Geno Smith or Mark Sanchez, these guys from the day they entered the league, they were lock on to one receiver, throw it whether he's open or not. If he's open, you get a play. If he's not, it's incomplete or, you, or it's an interception. Sam Darnold as a rookie was going through his progressions and making reads in ways that we had not seen before. And, you know, or we had not seen in recent history from Jets quarterbacks. Now, fast forward two years, and he looks like Mark Sanchez. Locking onto one guy, making a dumb throw. I can't tell you how many times I saw Jamison Crowder open on the All-22. Jamison Crowder used to get like 15 targets a game last year. Yeah. This year, he's wide open, and Donald doesn't even get to him. And this is what this has been the case all year. Donald is getting worse and worse and worse. And I'll tell you this right now, Alex. I had this thought the other day. If I'm a, it, whatever team Sam Donald ends up with, whether it's the Steelers or the Saints or whoever whoever makes a deal for Sam Donald, you know what my next move would be, Alex? I would get Josh McCown on the phone and hire him as my quarterbacks coach. Because I would be willing to, if you look back to that rookie year, McCown was in Donald's ear every time you, they were inseparable on the bench, talking him through situations. Since McCown left and Gase came in and Donald suddenly has the plague and nobody will go near him during a game, Donald just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. If I'm the Steelers, I trade for Donald. I hire Josh McCown as my quarterback's coach or, hell, my Sam Donald coach, whatever you want to call him, and say, look, Josh, you've been on a million teams. You've been in a million offenses. You saw this kid when he was at his best late in his rookie year. You know what he does well. You know where he struggles. We want you to bring this kid along and be his coach, his quarterback's coach. 
What are your thoughts there, Alex? And, and, and please, your thoughts on Sam Darnold. Listen, fans are being critical of him, and at this point, it's, it's rightfully earned. Listen, I get it. He's played for a terrible coach, but at some point, you've got to hold the player accountable. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, I've been – I said this last year, too, and, and when we were wrapping up last year's season, I said, you know, we're going to start, you know, going under the microscope and critiquing Sam Darnold for what we see and, and, and what he is. Um, because year three is the year in which he should be taking that, that maturation step. And clearly we've seen him go in the opposite direction. And for a long time, it was taboo to speak negatively about Darnold, even though we were just being honest about some of the flaws that he had. Um, You know, a lot of people have good memories with things that kind of meet their narrative, but people seem to forget that this was a college quarterback that was a project that did not have good arm throwing mechanics. He had to make an adjustment um, during his off season before the combine. And he opted out of the throwing drills because he felt that he didn't have chemistry with a bunch of random wide receivers that were out there. And his people were telling him it's probably going to hurt your draft stock. If you go out there and you make some errand throws. So there was already a label about, his throwing style, people were questioning about his turnovers, which were, I have 36 and 27 games in my mind from college. Um, he had plus 20 his final year. Um, you know, these were all things that we were hoping that we would start seeing less of. Um, now from his rookie to his sophomore year, he did increase his yards, his touchdowns, and decreased his interception um, uh, ratio. Um but not by much. It was marginal at best um, on, on slight improvements from rookie year to the second year. But what we saw in the first half of 2019 was a quarterback that looked like a deer in headlights, um, does not show any sort of uh, mental aspect to the game, saying, okay, I've got eight defenders in the box. We're about to run the ball up the middle for no gain or a possible loss but I have one-on-one opportunities with my receivers on the outside. Let me test this defensive coordinator and show him that, you know, I'm someone to be reasoned with and that if you continue to stack the box on me, I'm going to take my shots down the field, kind of like what we saw in the experienced Joe Flacco, and say, hey, look, I'd rather take a 50-50 shot of throwing the ball down the field to one of my uh, speedsters than run this garbage play that, either Gase or Dowell came up with. Um, and we've seen uh, Flacco make some audibles at the line when he was there. So a lot of things that, you know, I've seen that he hasn't been able to show that he's capable of doing. Um, his decision-making, we know, um, is still poor. Uh, we know that he has not learned the ability to throw the ball away when he's outside the pocket, which, I mean, you get a free play there. Just throw the ball into the stands. Um, A lot of people say that's coaching. It's not like Sam Darnold hasn't been told before that when you're outside the pocket, if there's nothing there, just live to play another day and throw the ball away. Um, You know, we've seen him take sacks outside the pocket this year um, when he has the opportunity to throw it away. So is he tone deaf? Um, Is he just not processing these things when he's going into the game on Sunday because he's, you know, overly nervous and, trying to make every single play a touchdown. Um, You know, I watch a lot of quarterbacks out there that don't have really, really strong arms. And, you know, 
I think of Alex Smith and Drew Brees and Tom Brady. How have these guys got it done? They look at the defense. They diagnose what's in front of them. If they need to make an adjustment, they will do so to keep the, the chains moving or to keep the, the offensive rolling. Um, they're willing to pick apart the defense and take what they, you know is given to you just to keep the offense on the field. And it really seems like Darnold's mentality of where he's going to force the issue when he's out there and make it work and make something happen when there's nothing there for him. Um, it's really, really bizarre. You know, also, like what you said, clearly the way Jeremy Bates was dialing up plays for him on the back half of his rookie year was more suited to the things that Darnold was comfortable doing. Um, he was targeting areas of the field where he was more accurate. Um, and basically they were just putting their young quarterback in a position to where he could be productive. Um, Gase has not done that. He has tried to force his system into this quarterback that is clearly struggling getting the concept of, of what is needed from him. And it's unfortunate because, you know, not all the, the plays have been terrible. And I know that sounds like a really bad take, but like you said, if Jamison Crowder is finding ways to separate and get open, why are we not getting him the ball? Um, the last three weeks he's had less than five targets a game and he's had two catches or less a, a game. So it's crazy. Where did he go from being when healthy Jamison Crowder was leading the NFL with like 100, 102 yards receiving a game in the game yep. that he was healthy. He was yep. on pace to be a phenomenal, you know, option for this offense. Exactly. And now we just haven't found ways to get him the ball. You know, I'm excited to see what, what Mims is doing and target meter to 10 to 15 times a game. Let's force teams to have to hang a safety or double cover Denzel Mims because <sighs> – if we make the defense starting to adjust the things that we're doing, other things are going to open up for other players. But like you said, we're, you know, and like what Rich said, you know, we are taking like eight to 10 plays and rinse and repeat on multiple drives. We are being completely predictable and there is just no rhyme or reason to it. Um, You know, I watch a lot of football games, you know, and, and see these like, really, really interesting, um, uh, you know, plays being drawn up with pre-snap motion and, you know, kind of finding ways to get the ball to your skill players. So it's just really, really just bizarre um, how we are looking like a team in the year that you have mentioned, and I'll finish up here because we got a caller on the line, um, you know, in a year where the offense is just clicking and, and there's basically no defense out there, um, all 31 teams out there, you know, are just letting up a lot of point scoring this year. So it's, it's interesting how everybody else is finding ways to be productive and, and get points on the board. And, you know, we're still force feeding the same, you know, trash plays. And that's the definition of insanity. You do the same thing over and over again, and you're expecting a different result. And maybe that's why we've all been acting so crazy in this 2020 season. But um, like you said, Glenn, we got a caller on the line, so let's see what we got. All right, uh, caller on the line calling in from a 732. Caller, what's your name? What do you got? My name is Aiden Fredericks, and I just wanted to tell you guys that I, I absolutely love your podcast. It was the first one that I ever was introduced to, 
And Glenn, Alex, and Dylan, I love all your takes, and I really appreciate it. And uh, so I heard you guys talking about Sam, and uh, I just want to say I I keep seeing that Sam is worth a two and a five. And truthfully, I definitely think he's worth a first. And I think Douglas is going to – he's going to want a first or more. What do you guys think that we'll actually get for Darnold? I think right now the way he's playing, you're going to struggle to get anything more than a three. But that's why I've asked the question, and it's kind of the approach I would like to see Joe Douglas take, that I understand fans want everything done now, now, now. But if I'm Joe Douglas and I go out and I hire an offensive coach who has some clue as to what he's doing, I say keep Sam Darnold around until next preseason, and then you deal him to a team that has a need at quarterback, whether it be due to injury or or just not having one. Because if you bring Sam Darnold back next year, Let's say he has an impressive camp. Let's say he plays well in preseason games and looks like the guy they drafted. Then all of a sudden, instead of a three, you get a team on the phone and say, look, this, this kid is a one. He's worth a one. Because right now it's, it's going to be a tough sell to say he's got, you know, he, he can't, he, I mean, he hasn't thrown a touchdown in three games. Um, he's thrown a ton of interceptions. You're not getting a one for that guy. Whether he has talent, that, whether he has the talent to be a one is, is a different story but you're not going to get a team on the phone and say, we need a first round pick for this guy. Who's got a, you know, a one to four TD to INT ratio. So mid round pick at the moment, I think Rappaport said a couple weeks ago or about a month ago that he estimated the Jets could probably get a second rounder for Darnold. Um, and he's only gotten worse since then. So I, I understand mm-hmm. the, 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 the need to, to deal him and the expediency to get him out and get a pick for him. But I would almost ra- ra- I would rather take, a first or second rounder in the 2022 draft, then get a fourth or fifth rounder in the 2021 draft. Hell yeah. Alex? No, I definitely agree. Yeah. You know, at this point in time, uh, I think, you know, let, let's not just talk about Sam, the person, because Sam's a great guy. Um, he's a humble kid. Um, he says the right things. He does the right things. He doesn't get in trouble. You know, he's everything you want in a particular mold of a quarterback or football personality perspective. Uh, But when you start to look at, you know, let's remove the name, let's remove the face, and let's just sell a team on a quarterback that has played in seven games this year, has three touchdowns, eight eight interceptions, and a QBR that's like below 30. Uh, I don't know how you're going to sell any manager in this league um, that he's worth a premium pick in return. Um, unless this is a particular team that was high on Darnold and feels that there has been a disservice done by this team, which clearly it has, and they feel I can do a way better job than what Adam Gase and Loggins and all these other jabronis have done. <laughs> um, so, you know, unless there's somebody out there, you know, that clearly says, you know what, I have a game plan and I know exactly what this kid needs, and I know exactly what this type of offense this kid needs, you know, maybe there is a, a GM out there that's willing to, to roll the dice because, you know, we have an abundance of quarterbacks in the league still right now that are 35 and older. We've got guys that are in their 40s that are still playing. So I can't continue to see these guys, you know, beating, you know, beating time because time, time gets everybody. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of turnover. We're going to see a lot of new young faces. And, you know, we're seeing some teams right now starting to make adjustments and look in different avenues and directions um, at the quarterback spot. You know, the Minshew era was a lot of fun in Jacksonville. 
Um, nobody's talking about him now. Um, and he's healthy and he's, you know, sitting on the bench right now. And Mike Glennon's getting more opportunities than he is. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, Philip Rivers, another guy. Um, how many more years does Philip have? You know, he's doing great things in Indianapolis. But, you know, I just can't foresee Indianapolis uh, investing, uh, you know, more years and, and top, you know, 25 to $30 million um, deals to a quarterback that's going to be darn near 40 uh, pretty soon. So uh, maybe there is a team out there. And if we could get something like a two uh, with the, the amount of draft picks that we have, uh, currently we've got three picks within the top 33 next year. You know, we're going to have the opportunity to come away with possibly three starters right off the bat on, on day one, day two. So if we could get another one in our pocket um, and just say, hey, you know what, Sam, it just didn't work out. And, you know, we didn't put together the right plan for you. We didn't put together the right team. We didn't have the right uh, scheme for you. But we're going to, you know, send you somewhere and we're going to get you under – somebody else that thinks that they can do better than us. And, and we're going to have to just, you know, uh, whip the bandaid off and, and, and start anew here. So I'm, I hope that there's another a trade suitor out there that can get us a premium pick. But at the moment from what I'm looking at and what I'm seeing, you know, with this poor kid that's struggling out there, um, I just don't see him being a premium pick right now. And it, and it really stinks to be honest with you. Um, you know, maybe the best thing to do at this point is to keep Darnold healthy because there's definitely no way we're getting a trade suitor if something happens more to that throwing arm and then he goes into the offseason um, requiring some sort of cleanup surgery and then you have nobody that, that, that's going to be, you know, uh, calling into the front office, you know, because when people call, Joe Douglas listens. That's it. That's really it. And honestly, I'm the first one to say that. I, I feel horrible about what the Jets organization has done to Sam Darnold, and I love the kid. Absolutely love the kid, and it's a, it's going to be a, it's a shame what we already did, and it's going to be a shame if when we have to let him go. But at this point right now, I'm I'm ready to see him light it up on another team. Honestly, I think he will with a better surrounding cast and a better coach. I think he will. At least I hope he will. But uh, I, I'm hoping for better draft capital than a two to five. All right, Aiden. We will we will wait and find out. Thanks so much for calling in. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. You guys are awesome. I'll see you soon. All right. Thanks a lot. Have a good night. <clears throat> All right, so that was that was listen, that's a question on a lot of Jets fans' minds is, you know, what is Sam Darnold worth in trade? Um and I I just I think, you know, what, what I was saying earlier about, you know, possibly hanging on to Sam Darnold to trade him later. Those are the types of moves I feel like we see other teams make from time to time, and I always find myself thinking, man, why don't the Jets ever do something like that? You know, if you have an asset because listen, even let's say let's say you come into next year and Donald stinks it up and you can't trade him at all. Fine. So you don't get that fourth round pick. It would have been nice to have, but at the end of the day, it's a fourth round pick. If if that, I mean, if he keeps playing like he is, you might not get a fourth. You might not get a sixth. He goes out there throws two or three interceptions every week, two or three dumb interceptions every week. You're not getting anything for him. So as his value continues to slide. Why the hell wouldn't you just say we're going to bring him into camp next year? We're going to work him with the new system, with the new head coach, new offensive coordinator. If he comes out and lights it up, if teams call, then we get to say, yeah, we need a one for this guy. We need a two for this guy. Why not? I, I mean, what do you have to lose? Other, to me, if you trade him for a fourth. On the cap. 
But if you trade him for a four or five, six pick right now, you're giving up the opportunity to maybe get a one or a two down the line. I want that. I want premium picks, especially for a guy, you know, a quarterback who you gave up a ton of picks to get. Um, I mean, I know that's not part of the equation, but still, I don't want to see. I, I want to see the team get value because you know, you know what's going to happen is someone's going to trade for him, and he's going, he's going to be at the very least a, a good player somewhere else, a good quarterback. Oh yeah. Um, and <clears throat> so here's a question for you, Alex. Let's say, let's say you're put on put on your Joe Douglas cap for a second, okay? Um, you, you're you're making some calls. You're trying to trade Sam Darnold. It's draft day, or it's the day before the draft. You make some calls. Nobody offers you anything more than a four or a five for Sam Darnold, and you're like, ah oh, man, you know, we'd really like to get more. Let's hold tight. You know, it's it's it, day one of the draft comes and goes. You say, well, we know we weren't going to get a first anyway, but we really were hoping to get a two. But all you're getting offers for is, is, is fours and fives or threes and fives, whatever. And then the phone rings, and it's Bill Belichick on the other line. And he says, hey, Joe, I'll, I'll give you a two, and a, a two and a four for Sam. Do you send Sam Darnold to the New England Patriots where Bill <laughs> Belichick, of all people, believes in him and believes he can get the most out of him? Uh, and now you've got to face Sam twice a year for a second-round pick. Wow. Um, man, you know, because then you start second guessing yourself. The line, right? <laughs> then you're like, wait a minute. Because, if Belichick sees something in this guy, what do I not see? Right, and then you know, to to put the icing on the cake, uh, the Patriots pay the mega deal to Jamal Adams, so we get we have to deal with Jamal Adams. They're not you know, doing quarterback that. hunting, and then <laughs> and then we have Sam Darnold throwing dimes on our faces. Wouldn't that just be you know, the, a Jets, a Jets life, you know, right there in itself. But uh, yeah, two and a four, you know, I'm thinking that if you're going to, you're probably going to have to pair Sam with a future pick that's between the three and the fourth round for 2021 or 2022 or 2022 rather, I suppose, um, to maybe get a 2021 second round pick. That's how I would kind of figure it. But to answer your question, would I take a two and a four, on day two of the draft, and let's just say hypothetical, we end up with Trevor Lawrence, and and then that that back end pick ends up being a staple player, whether it's a, a lockdown corner or an offensive lineman that you can plug and play. Um, would I want an extra two and an extra four going into 2021's draft with a new young quarterback? I think I would do it. I think I would. Um, I think I would I would hate the fact that it's probably going to work out for Sam and it would be against a, a rival um, and it would be Bill Belichick just with that smirk. Look what I did. I took something that you guys couldn't figure out and I turned it into something awesome. That would definitely be, you know, a, it would sting, you know, getting lemon juice in the eye on that one. But uh, I think at where we're at um, out, we don't have a foundation to this team. We don't have an identity to this team. And I guess the way that you you kind of want to build something like that is to compile as many lucrative, um, solid players that are premium picks so that you can quickly turn things around within a year or two. I guess that would be the Joe Douglas way of trying to get this organization back on track. So I think I might take a two and a four 
I would hate the fact that it would be Bill, Bill Belichick because he would probably figure out a way to, to get the best out of Sam Darnold. But at the same time, looking at what we have right now, which is not much, uh, premium picks usually end up being decent players. So that would be my mentality on this one here. Tough question, one. Yeah, I, I, you know, I was trying to, I was thinking about it the other day, thinking, you know, if someone calls, you, you got to take the best offer you can get as long as it's, you know, I don't want them to get robbed. Someone, if, if your best offer is a six or a five, that's when I say hang on to him until next year, see if he can play himself into a, a more valuable position. Uh, but then the thought crossed my mind. I'm like, Jesus, what if it's Belichick and he makes you a decent offer? Um, I mean, you have to – I guess my main question is, does it make you question your own ability to scout talent if you're trying to get rid of a guy that Bill Belichick wants, right? Like, even though – you know, we say what we want about Belichick, that the Patriots aren't doing much this year without Tom Brady. Uh, Bill Belichick is still the most respected coach in the NFL. I mean, his resume speaks for itself. And you can talk to me about, oh, but look at his record with the Browns. Great. Look at his record with the Patriots when, when Brady got hurt. You know, when he missed that full season, he took Matt Castle, who hadn't started a, a damn football game since high school, and, and won, what, 11 games. You know, what Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, who never started a game, and who was the other guy? Uh, Jacoby Brissett. What would they go? 5-0, and 6-0. You know, he's actually, actually, over the last 20 years, I believe, like, since coming to New England prior to this season, I saw a stat that Bill Belichick's winning percentage is better without Tom Brady than it is with Tom Brady um, because the guy just knows how to win. So, again, it, it's just kind of a fun scenario to kick around. Um, it, you know, it's not going to happen, but it's like, Jesus, what would you do, you know? Uh, I mean, could you live with yourself as a Jets fan? You send Sam Donald to New England – and Bill Belichick wins three or four more Super Bowls with him. Yeah, that that would hurt. Um, you know, and I, I think about some of the players of the past, like uh, you know Woodhead and, and some of the other guys that that transitioned over and, and ended up doing great things. And some of these guys have rings, so you know they've probably succeeded in their childhood. At dreams. least Woodhead, you could say Woodhead, you know, undrafted rookie, free agent, long shot. This right, is like right. the dude you took to rescue your franchise and he ends up rescuing the Patriots franchise. That would be, uh, uh, I could, I don't know if I could, man. I might have to hang up the phone and go, hang on. Uh, We got, we got to work with, (laughs) you know, even if it's as a backup, you bring Sam in and trade him to someone else in the off season. I'm I'm not sending him to somebody give me a barf bag. I'm going to take this deal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a tough one. But listen, we haven't talked a whole lot about this, this uh, ass kicking from the other day. Like I said, 20 to three loss. Let's uh, let's go through a few things here, Alex. We, I, you know, what I realized sure. the other day, I think it's because this team is so bad and we're just so fed up with it. We've we've kind of forgotten. We we don't even do studs and duds anymore. Um, so <laughs> so, <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, the problem is the studs would be the same every week. Beckton, Quinn, yeah. and Williams, and like some random guy who had a good game. You know what I mean? Um, a big man. <laughs> I mean, actually, this week, honestly, this week it. Uh, it would be it would be Quinnen Williams, uh, Marcus May, and maybe Denzel Mims. I mean Mims that fingertip grab over the middle. Ooh, um, that guy yeah. has looked phenomenal. I mean that he's he, going to be special. He is. He is. But I I think I mentioned it last week. I'll bring it up again this week. Um, that might have been Marcus May's best game of the year. I mean, and I said last week in talking about Perriman, this team is in no position to let their good players walk out the door because they don't have enough of them. 
do you try to retain Marcus May at this point after the way he's played this season? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I've been thinking about that because we've seen a theme where Mike McCagnon's guys are kindly shown the door, and he's one of the last McCagnon guys, if I'm not mistaken, um, between yeah. Sam and him. So, you know, one of the things that Joe Douglas did last year uh, is he flirted with the, you know, trading particular players for certain commodities, and then he tried to, you know, save face and, and, and make extension deals. And, you know, even after the whole Robbie Anderson trade fiasco last year and he did the Wolf of Wall Street, I'm not effing leaving and, and all this good stuff, uh, apparently it, it left a, a poor taste in his mouth and he had a few offers um, at the back end of the 2019 season. And he wasn't taking it because he wanted, you know, like he said in his uh, one of his, season-ending interviews, you know, it would kind of be stupid of me to just take the first deal that's offered to me and not go test the market and see what my true value is because he basically was saying, I don't think the Jets value me very much. And, you know, clearly the way negotiations went and hearing Joe Douglas being remorseful about it, uh, he probably, you know, wakes up in the middle of the night saying, damn it, you know, I should have made locked up that deal. If I only coughed up a couple more million dollars, we would have had Sam – at least with a wide receiver that he's got the most chemistry with. So, you know, is Joe Douglas going to um, repeat the same mistakes of the past by letting a, a good, solid foundation piece in Marcus May go into free agency? Because right now, Marcus May, knock on wood, has been healthy for like the last two years, and that was a big knock on him was his health and his eligibility. So he's pretty much overcome that at this point. Um, he's played stand up this year. You know, they, they put him, they tried to put him in the Jamal Adams role in the earlier in the season, looked good week one, not so much, you know, the few games after that, but now Greg Williams has said, all right, I can't mess around anymore. I've got UDFAs and rookie corners on the outside covering solid wide receivers. I got to put my best center fielder back there in Marcus May to do what he does best. And like you said, Last week was one of Marcus May's probably best games. Um, and he's just a guy that he he knows where to tell his other def- uh, defensive backs to be. So he's, he's calling the defense as far as the secondary is concerned. Having a, a, a guy out there that, you know, is doing captain-like things and basically, you know, coaching – on the fly with these young and experienced guys out there and say, okay, this is your job. This is your job. You got to line up here. Okay. Ready. Let's go. And to remove somebody like that and then try to bring somebody in new next year um, might be detrimental. So Joe Douglas is a wise man. And I think he is, I would think that he would want to retain Marcus may um, get him the, get him an extended, you know, I'm not talking 15 million per or anything crazy like that but I think that Marcus May is, is the type of player that would not mind retiring as a Jet. And I think that they should prioritize that in the offseason. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you nailed it. you, you got to try to keep the guy around. There's, uh, and he really was phenomenal the other day. You know who else was really good? I mentioned Quinn and Williams. Um, Quinn and Williams had, what, a sack, sack and a half. PFF had him down for seven more pressures after having him down for seven pressures the week before. I mean, that's a big number for an interior defensive lineman. And he's still, Alex, I brought this up earlier in the year, 
And people, you know, this is at the point when people were still calling Quentin Williams a bust and still mm-hmm. saying he was a bad pick. Um, and, oh, it, you know, they were telling me it's because he's lazy. I brought up the fact, I said, this guy, I looked at, I looked at Aaron Donald. Ooh. And no, I'm not saying Aaron Donald is Quentin Williams or Quentin Williams is Aaron Donald. But Aaron Donald routinely plays like between 80 and 90% of the snaps in, in uh, San Diego. No, Los Angeles. I noticed I said San Diego a million times. And now I'm messing up the Rams and the Chargers. Los Angeles Rams, Los Angeles Chargers, different teams. Aaron Donald, Los Angeles Rams, plays 80 to 90% of the snaps routinely for the Rams. Quinnen Williams played 73% of the snaps for the Jets this past Sunday, and that was his high for the season. Um, he wow. routinely plays between 55 and 65% of the snaps. Um, and I actually, and that in total number of snaps, I took a look the other day, um, Aaron, and, and I could, you know, this is give or take. This isn't to the snap. I might be off by a dozen or so. But uh, Aaron Donald's played roughly 150 more snaps than Quinnen Williams has. Um, so, and Quinnen, it's a shame, you know, Quinnen now when he's up to about five sacks. And he had, as far as I'm concerned, he had a couple of sacks that were not credited because uh, roughing or uh, intentional grounding was, was not called on the opposing quarterbacks. Uh, Josh Allen was one. I forget who the other one was when they just, when Quinnen had him wrapped up and they just threw the, threw the ball to no man's land and, uh, and nothing was called. So even though you look at him and he's got, excuse me, you look at, you look at Quinnen Williams right now and he's sitting there with five sacks, really, you know, he could very easily be sitting at seven and that's in week 11 and having missed a couple games. So this kid might become that, I mean, there's every reason to believe he will become that nine or ten sack a year guy uh, on the interior of the defense. And this is with very little help on the edge. Um, yep. But what I was going to say was Jordan Jenkins was another guy who had, I think he had his best game the other day. He was uh, he was he was getting to the quarterback. I think he had a sack, a sack and a half. He had, I think PFF had him down for six pressures. Probably his best game, but just he just doesn't play at that level consistently enough. To, to earn that big contract he's going to want. So um, those I think those are my, my best guys on defense, on offense. I really liked what we saw from Mims again. I really liked what we saw from Perriman again, another deep ball reception for him uh, early on in the game. So he's a guy – If listen, if Perriman keep, stays healthy and he keeps picking up a 50-yard catch every week, you got to bring him back. You, just, you, have, you, you don't have enough good players to let guys like that go. Um, now – right. I hate saying depending on price because, listen, every free agent depends on price. If I say they should sign a guy and it turns out the guy is a $4 million a year player and he wants $16 million a year, well, of course you don't sign the guy. But if this guy's willing to take a, a fair value, market value contract, and he's not looking for, you know, to be paid twice what he's worth, uh, and, and again, this is the stipulation being if, 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 and it is a big if, if he stays healthy the rest of the way. And if we keep seeing him make these big plays, I think you got to. Uh, I think you got to pull the trigger and keep him around. Um, so, Alex, who stood out to you this week? Who was good? Who was bad? And um, and and we can close out with that. We've got a few minutes left here. Yeah, I think what was interesting, um, something that we haven't seen was was a little bit of a run game um, by thirty seven year old running back. I mean, just imagine if if we had somebody. No, no disrespect to Frank Gore because he's a Hall of Famer. Um, you know, and, and he's just, he's the model type of player you want in your locker room, you know, being the, the one that 
you know, he doesn't, he may not be a big talker. Um, he may not be, you know, the most, uh, the loudest guy in the locker room, but he just sets a precedent of how to be professional and, and go about the game and all things like that. But I was very impressed by, you know, Gore, you know, I think he had like a 16 yard scamper. He had a 17 yard scamper, you know, and I'm just thinking, I think he had, you know, I what, think he had like, timing. He had one drive where he had a, like a 14 and a 15 yarder, but I think that was it for the day in terms of anything over sort of five, six yards. Right, right. And, and it was just interesting just to see, like, man, you know, unfortunate that, you know, Michael P. Ryan gets this uh, ankle sprain and, and finds himself on the short-term IR because it kind of felt like this would have probably been our best chance to have a 100-yard rusher in a game um, if we had somebody with a little bit of a, a spark. You know, not for nothing for Frank, but, you know, you could see he's clapping his heels and, and falling down once he gets through to the second level, and guys are swiping at his ankles, and, and he's going down, and that's what you expect when you have a 37-year-old running back. You know, mentally he's 25, but physically he's just not what he used to be. And it's very impressive that he's still able to do, you know, some some things that, you know, certain guys wish that they could do at this point in their prime. Um, so, you know, unfortunately old man Frank is, um, you know, we, we harp on him a lot, just and it's not anything to do with him personally. Oh, I've, I've said that a million that, times. Every time I've yeah. said something bad about having Frank Gore, it's not about Gore. It was about it was a dumb move to sign him, and it's a dumb move to give him 18 carries. Sorry, Alex, go ahead. No, and and you know it's interesting how we said, oh, we don't want to give Frank like 30 30 touches, and I think he ended up having darn near 15 in the first half, and we're like, he's on base for 30 right now, and uh, you know what happened to this rotation that we were going to say, but uh, you know Gore came away you know a little impressed, and and in the first half it looked like we we were in the fight, but. Uh, you know, things fizzled out quite quickly. Um, but, you know, Bryce Hall took his lumps this weekend um, against a very good receiver in Devontae Parker, and he battled with him. And, you know, a lot of guys struggle when, when Devontae Parker's healthy and he's on point. Um, he can make corners look bad. And, you know, he took his lumps, but he also had some reps where he won. And I even think Brian Flores had, had uh, said he came away, you know, a little bit more impressed by those young corners. Um than he had anticipated. You know, Lamar Jackson, we saw his the back of his jersey a few times. Um, but, you know, as far as being physical, um, these young guys are hungry. Um, so, you know, Bryce Hall, I, I really hope that he comes back to that 2018 form where he was one of the top corners in college. Um, that would be really, really great. Um, you know, Harvey Lange is just one of those guys that is just getting an opportunity to get some reps and he's playing like a man possessed. So I'm happy for him. I don't know if he still has a future, you know, with his team after this year, but he's playing well enough to where he's got to be picked up next year. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully he gets another opportunity to crack somebody else's starting lineup. Um, you know, offensively, uh, I'd have to say I came away a little impressed, uh, with GVR, um, Greg Van Roten um, continues to play well on the interior side. Um, you know, we do, we still have some issues on the offensive line here. Uh, but, you know, as far as what we, we, we were talking about earlier in the year, is, is it a lateral move from Brian Winters to Greg Van Roten? You know, in the first month of football, it looked like it was more or less the same. But I think now when we look at his play and we see, you know, a few things that these guys have done, um, they're doing, you know, a lot better things. And, you know, obviously having depth players like Pat Eflin and Josh Andrews and, and Connor McDermott, 
a lot of room to be desired um, with those individuals, but that's not their fault. You know, that's the roster that, that this team put together. Um, but yeah, there's a few guys out there that I don't think have enough recognition. So we'll, we'll give the, we'll shine the limelight on them for a little bit this week. And, um, you know, a lot of the guys that you had already mentioned, like Mims and Perriman and all those guys, um, we just got to figure out more ways to get them the ball. So we have, have more studs than duds. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, uh, there, uh, you know, be a, a long way, a long way till this team has. The Raiders. Do, the, do the Raiders uh, give us our play spoiler? And, I don't and know, man. I think, I, I think no, I think, possible? I, I think the fact that the Raiders were having themselves a nice season, um, almost beat the Chiefs, and then they come back off that sort of emotional letdown of, of Mahomes coming back in the final minute, get their doors blown off by the Falcons 43-6. to six. I think, John, this is like when teams bounce back. Like when you're better than the team that you're playing and you're coming off a blowout, that's normally when you dial in, you focus in, and you come out and you win a game. Um, they, you know, they have the, uh, the long trip, which could hurt, but I just I, – I, I don't see the Jets having enough talent to be able to beat the Raiders. Um, so we'll see. Again, I, I, that's not uncommon. You know, how many times do we see a team come out and play an opponent much tougher than anyone expects – and it's almost like they empty the tank against that team and they come out and get their, their, their heads handed to them on the platter the following week. That's what happened to the Raiders against the Falcons. And I think next week the Raiders will be back to, you know, sort of get back up to that, that baseline level of play. They kind of, they peaked against the chiefs. They had that letdown. They hit a deep Valley came out flat and got killed by the Falcons. And now I think they're going to bump back up to a sort of, you know, their, their norm, and we'll see them beat the Jets uh, on Sunday. So we will find out in time. That'll do it for us tonight. Alex, thank you so much for tuning in. And um, that'll, that'll be what we're on our way to 0-12, or so we expect. And we will be back Ooh. next week to talk about just that. So have a five great week, Jets fans. Man. What was that, Alex? Five more weeks, five more games. We can get through this. 33 more days of Adam Gase. 33, and that's assuming he is fired the day after the season. I, what I think the Jets need to do is, like, at about the – like, as soon as the fourth quarter starts, call Adam Gase an Uber and have it waiting outside the stadium and don't even let him back in the building. Just escort him out the tunnel, through the tunnel, out, out the entrance, and into his Uber, and they can drive him off to wherever it is he lives. Um, Red well, carpet, for us, Jets fans. flower petals like coming to America. We'll give him a big finale as he walks out the door. Yeah, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to get that guy out the door. We will catch you next week. Have a good one, Jets fans. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23. And Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets.